Hi, it's Hal Anderson. Thanks for checking out the daily podcast for my show, Connecting Winnipeg. And if you can, please listen live weekdays from 10 to noon on 680 CJOB. The question of the day at CJOB.com relates to all this. The question at CJOB.com right now, overall crime is down in Winnipeg, but violent crime is up. How safe do you feel? Uh, you've got uh, four options, and so far the number one answer at 56%, the question just went up, but at about 56% right now, the people that are voting, not safe at all. That's how close to 60% of the Winnipeggers and Manitobans voting right now at CGOB.com are feeling about it. We're going to focus in on one of the solutions that's been suggested by many of you to me over the past week or 10 days while we've been talking a lot about crime and I want to bring in an expert on this. Vula Marinos is a professor child and youth studies at Brock University. Vula good morning. Good morning. Thank you for doing this. You were on our air not that long ago and you were asked about the idea of a curfew and a lot of my listeners are saying it's time for a curfew. Do they work? Well, I mean, I think it depends on what your objective is and why the curfew might be um, viewed as a solution. So on the whole, we know that as a long-term policy solution, curfews are not effective. Um, And I assume that you're talking about uh, youth crime specifically. Right. And that's what I'm referring to. Um, But as a short-term solution, solution that you know has some time limits for example it can be effective in doing a number of things Um, and so I guess I would ask some more questions about what the objectives are uh, what is the timing of the curfew how is it going to be implemented and monitored um, and so on. Yeah, and, our, and the, the chief of our police force here in Winnipeg this morning said, nah, uh, not something that they feel they that would necessarily prove effective and not something uh, that they would even look at, not even sure how they would, would handle it. Um, I, I think you give a good answer, I think, because uh, I have been saying now for several days, because we've seen a, a rise in violence, violent crime, uh, the Forks is a very popular area here in the city of Winnipeg. We've had a number mm-hmm. of incidents in a short period of time there. And I have said that maybe it's time to redeploy some officers, get more boots on the ground, not as a long-term solution, but to try and quell what we're seeing. And you're saying that maybe a curfew might be effective in that way as well, but not a long-term solution. Um, that's right. I mean, again, um I'm not uh, there and I'm not privy mm-hmm. to all of the information. Right. Um, but again, I think it, it would have to depend on are these random acts of violence? Um, you know, are there too many people in a very short or in a very small space? Um, you know, there are a number of important questions. So, I mean, the chief of police would be privy to that information. And um, again, as a as a long term solution, we know you know there's quite a bit of research evidence that shows that young people, uh, if they are engaging in crime, um, it's actually typically after school, before the dinner hour, where they're relatively unsupervised, um, 
and not late at night. We also know in terms of just generally victimization, most crime is not random. Uh, even if it's violent, it's typically between people who know each other. Um, and so, I, again, if these are random acts of violence in a public area, in a specific area, um, you know, I think there are some short-term and then there are longer-term solutions. But, yeah, I mean, the chief of police is correct. You want to know what the underlying reasons are for the violence. And a curfew is just simply possibly one of many solutions in the short term. Mm -hmm. As a professor of child and youth uh, studies at at Brock University, you mentioned something I I found interesting there, that uh, it's often after school when uh, young people will get involved in criminal activity. Is that where we need to focus, keeping our young people busy and Let's face it, over the past couple of years during the pandemic, a lot of things that, like programs and whatnot that would have kept them busy have been suspended, put on hold. And, and maybe that's part of why we're seeing more young people committing crimes. I mean, it's possible. Certainly, um, anecdotally, um, you know, lots of young people um, have reported, and in fact, those who run a lot of community-based organizations have certainly um, discussed how, um, you know, the programs um, uh, obviously during COVID uh, were not available. Um, And so there was a real, excuse me, pardon me, loss of uh, connection with young people, uh, an outlet for many young people. And I'm not suggesting that, um, you know, there have to be um, new strategies in place for that period of time between 3.30 and 6 p.m. Um, mm-hmm. Most young people are not out late at night um, committing violence, right? And so it's important to make a distinction between, you know, the more serious violence that I think, um, you know, these discussions are arising from compared to the bulk of youth crime, which is relatively non-serious, um, and is happening for various different reasons. And so these violent offenses, again, I think you'd have to ask a few more questions about why it's happening, between whom is it happening. Um, and these kids likely have more serious needs, um, needs, you know, including poverty, um, right. you know, mental health issues. It could, it could be gang involvement, could be addiction, mm-hmm. and a combination of these, right? There's sure. Typically, uh, no single reason. Right. Vula, thank you very much for this. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Vula Marinos is a professor of child and youth studies at Brock University. Again, our question of the day at cjob.com is asking you about how you're feeling on the streets of Winnipeg. Overall crime down, but violent crime is up 5% last year. Those are the new numbers from Winnipeg Police. Go and vote when you get a second, and then let me know how you're feeling. Are you feeling safe out there in a text or email 204-780-6868? Crime, crime, crime. Our question of the day at CGOB.com is how you're feeling on the streets of Winnipeg with violent crime up 5% last year. New crime stats from Winnipeg Police getting a lot of text messages and emails on this. I mentioned 
that we will get to the increase in the Bank of Canada rate, a full point this morning. You'll hear more on this story, which we're just getting details on now from Manitoba RCMP, a teacher and coach at the Steinbeck Regional Secondary School has been arrested and charged on alleged sexual offenses. Uh, Six female students between the ages of 15 and 18 reported being assaulted by the male employee of the school. As I said, more on that breaking story as we go along here this morning on CJOB. We'll get back to crime. We'll talk bank rate, but I want to bring in Kathy Knight here for a couple of minutes. Kathy is the Dean of CyberWave at Manitoba Institute of Trades and Technology. Kathy, good morning. Hi, Al. How are you today? Excellent. Thanks for coming on. You know, I'm working on a couple of other interviews that will happen here in the days ahead on um, on um, jobs and, and what areas are in demand right now. What areas need uh good workers and you've got this new or you're involved in this new program tell us about it where you graduated your your first class of tech students tell us about the program first of all and and why this is so cool and it is well you know we're really excited because we think that uh this is just a historical moment for education in manitoba we have uh, graduated our first cohort of our early college uh, collaboration, our early college high school collaboration with um, the Pemina Trail School Division and, of course, a partnership as well with uh, Tech Manitoba. So MITT has, uh, you know, really been at the very beginning of, uh, you know, we're a foundational partner in this, in this initiative, started it about six years ago. Um, this year, we have about 20 students uh, from the very first cohort that started in 2018, uh, you know, about to make their mark in the technology sector. So uh, software developer and uh, network uh, systems administration are the two streams that students uh, take. It's a dual credit program, so they graduate with both a high school diploma and a post-secondary uh diploma or certificate in uh in those two uh, disciplines kind of gives them a head start eh oh completely i think it really accelerates not only their academic career um but also their ability to move directly into jobs right after high school which many of them are doing and i'm i'm i don't know why but when i see a term for the first time i go oh that's kind of cool and i want to talk about it and, and learn about it uh, I had not heard it uh, until I was getting ready to talk to you. You know, we talk about blue-collar jobs, white-collar jobs. These are new-collar jobs. Right. So, you know, you think about the the rise of innovation, especially technology innovation, and jobs that are actually beginning to evolve and, and competencies that are becoming required uh, as a result of uh, technology innovation. So uh, if you look at um, cybersecurity, for instance, these are jobs that probably didn't exist 10 years ago and, uh, and are really in demand. And, um, you know, if you look at ICT or information and communication technologies and cybersecurity combined, um, digitally skilled uh, talent in Canada is expected to reach more than 305,000 by next year. 
So uh, we've got a number of jobs, and they're all in demand. And the beautiful thing about Manitoba is we're really well positioned to uh, provide uh, uh, students with careers in these in these areas uh, that are uh, sustainable and lucrative. Well, and this is some of the other interviews that I'm working on. Um, it, like just even in, in gaming, for example, video gaming, the development of video games. I mean, we've got a real healthy uh, little industry on that front in this province, right? And so a program like this uh, is just a perfect match. Well, one thing that uh, at MITT, what we've been hearing uh, from our software students and uh, and I would say even from a network security perspective, too, because there are security considerations in game development, as there is in everything these days. But a lot of them do have a great desire to work in the gaming industry. But they're also interested, like most of them are very interested in being able to create and build things. And, and they can do that through software develop, you know, by being software developers. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me, Kathy, like we're ahead of the curve here in the province of Manitoba with stuff like this. Am I right about that? Absolutely. I mean, this is truly a unique program. And, uh, you know, I would say the secret sauce to it for MITT has is, is, uh, been the collaboration with uh, Pemina Trails and also with Tech Manitoba because it, we've really been able to come together and give them that that uh, whole experience. So it's we don't just focus on the technical skills; we focus on the work skills. So we also, uh, you know, give them the ability to build uh, their uh, critical thinking, uh, teamwork, collaboration, um, all of those kinds of things that you know employers are looking for because they want students that can interact. They want candidates who can interact with clients with other peers with leaders within their organizations and um and the beautiful thing about uh about uh, p-tech and what we do uh at the post-secondary level at MITT is we really prepare them for that and uh, so they're really job ready they can be productive from day one when they when they enter the workplace yeah, and I've said before, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, uh, students leaving high school with a plan. And as I said, this is sort of a head start, right? I mean, it, it, it's not, it's wonderful if you want to go to school, be, you know, post-secondary school for four or more years. It's not necessary anymore. And, and sometimes, I, I, in many cases, I like an approach like this uh, much better. It gets people to work faster. They're spending less money on their education and they still have uh, wonderful abilities and talents. Somebody listening wants more information. Where's the best place to go, Kathy? Oh, by the way, uh, you can go to uh, mitt.ca and you can get more information there. Appreciate it. Kathy, thank you. Great. Thanks, Hal. Crime stats are in from Winnipeg Police. Violent crime up 5% last year. And we're going to head to Edmonton here in in just a moment. Uh, But let me read a little bit of a story from Global News in Edmonton. Uh, This is a recent story. The city, Edmonton here, has created and made public the Downtown Core and Transit System Safety Plan after a request from Alberta's Justice Minister, it outlines 12 recent actions by that city, Edmonton, 
that have been taken to support safety, focusing on public spaces, bylaw cleanliness, bylaws cleanliness, communication, and enforcement. Four streams of longer-term work, as well as specific requests for support from that province's government to help address this multi-layered issue. The mayor in Edmonton says community safety and well-being is a shared responsibility. At the end of May, the justice minister in Alberta invoked Section 30 of the Police Act there, giving Edmonton's mayor two weeks to come up with a public safety plan to combat the violence downtown in Edmonton and on transit and take direct action to address this alarming situation. Listen. Uh, the cities are different, some of it is different, but we're dealing with more violent crime right across Western Canada. But it seems to me, and I think you may get the same sense from what I just read, that Alberta, Edmonton, a little more proactive than we are here in Manitoba. And if you missed Police Chief Danny Smythe on the start this morning, uh, he was asked about whether or not Winnipeg police need to be more proactive. I'll share that audio with you in a second. But let's bring in here Doug King, Professor of Justice Studies at Mount Royal University in Alberta. Doug, good morning. Good morning. Not that much different there compared to here, right, when we look at Edmonton and Winnipeg. Violent crime is on the rise. Yeah, you know, I think the, the one takeaway from it all is the violent crime is on the rise across Canada and basically across North America. And uh, what makes that kind of noteworthy is that property-related offenses seem to have capped off and have actually dropped. So we have an issue related to violent crime in in Canadian society and certainly in, in Western Canada. Yeah, that's what we're seeing here as well. Other crimes, property crimes, actually down a bit, violent crime uh, on the rise. It does seem to me like, you know, the province is getting involved. That's not really happening here. We're hearing some comments. But in Alberta, it seems like politicians there are being much more proactive about this and saying, here's the plan. And I think that's the frustration with a lot of Winnipeggers here. We don't know the plan. And when the police chief, even this morning, was asked about the plan, we don't get a lot of details. More community involvement, which has been difficult during the pandemic, you know, but we don't hear about redeploying officers in any way. Um, is it a, a more proactive approach in Edmonton? I like it. I, maybe nothing more comes of it, but I like that people are getting more information and the people in charge are at least talking about trying to address the issue. You know, I think you're right. I can't speak specifically to the Winnipeg situation, but certainly here in Alberta, both in Edmonton and in Calgary, uh, city councils, have become much, much more active in addressing problems, identifying them, and basically setting out um, a roadmap for the police. The, the issue with, with, with violent crime is when we hear violent crime, we tend to think it's all the same. But if you kind of dig in a little bit deeper, there seems to be two kind of roots to it that are, that are taking place. I think one is the one that rightly so gets a lot of media, which are the random attacks on bystanders in places like transit and in the downtown core and those kinds of things. 
And that, those tend to be related to uh, individuals, offenders who have mental health disorders, substance use disorder, those kinds of things. The other one, and I'm sure you'll see it in Winnipeg, is an increase in gun-related violence and gun-related activity. And that, you know, drive-by shootings and those kinds of things. So you actually got two uh, issues that have to be addressed. Yeah, and, and here you talk about the random attacks. The reason the focus, we've refocused in on, on crime and specifically violent crime is because the Forks, which is where the rivers meet here in Winnipeg, and it's a gathering spot. It's a very popular spot for Winnipeggers and visitors to our city. And we had a rash of violent incidents there. Uh, the latest, uh, we saw a Ukrainian refugee stabbed in the neck. Again, you mentioned innocent bystander, a passerby, and, and he was the victim of this violent crime uh, at the Forks. And, and you're right, that is, uh, that's what has got us all going, hang on a second, we know there's crime everywhere in the city, but this is an area where we don't expect it to happen, and it wasn't one incident, it was a rash of incidents. Yeah, in in Edmonton, there were two uh, individuals who were actually killed in Chinatown uh, by random attacks. There was one uh, young woman who was walking off to work in Calgary at 6.30 in the morning um, and was uh, uh, killed randomly by uh, an individual. They were eventually arrested and things like that. And the, the thing that is kind of at the root of that is the whole, you know, we all know that coming out of the pandemic and during the pandemic that everyone felt, you know, pressure and mental health um, stressors and those kinds of things. That actually also took place within the socially dispossessed, the homeless, and those kinds of individuals. And we're now starting to see the consequences of that. So those are those kinds of of violent offenses rightly get the um, media, uh, have to get the media attention. But the other part is the gun-related violence that typically is related to uh, criminal organizations, and that's on the rise. And the interesting thing is is that started to rise before the pandemic. Um, so Canada's crime rates were all were dropping considerably since the 1990s. We were only had about two-thirds of the crime in Canada as a population rate um, compared to 1990. And then about 19, about uh, 2017, it started to increase. And again, it was the violent crime. But that was largely related to criminal organizations. Mm-hmm. And so how are Edmontonians reacting to all of this, Doug? Are, are they feeling better knowing some details and at least being able to look at the plan? Because I think a big part of our frustration here and our concern here is, at least from the people that listen to my show and contact me, they don't know the plan. What is the plan? What we're doing now is not working. So how are we changing it up? And then our police chief was a little slow to speak to the public, and then he was sort of annoyed when he had to. How, how are Edmontonians reacting to this plan, a very uh, public, here's what we're doing, here are the problems, here's what we're doing? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, uh, plans are great. Um, I think it gives um, people who are, 
you know, concerned about the issue, a sense that something can be done about it. But it all comes down to will the resources be put in and will it, it will it produce results? You know, your comment about the the Winnipeg Chiefs, you know, uh, you know, kind of how would you how would you you know um, having been caught off guard and a bit slow in responding and the response wasn't uh, particularly useful in the moment is typical of what's happening with police across Canada. The police seem to be slow in uh, responding and planning how to deal with these kinds of issues. And, you know, if I've been around, you know, policing for about 30 years now. And one of the things that is really concerning to me is that we have lost our focus on a community-based policing response. The police don't seem to think they have to tell us and, and communicate with us and consult with us on these kinds of issues. And, you know, uh, how many times do we get communications from police that are, that's basically a Twitter um, uh, message and that's about it. So, yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a uh, kind of a sense of, okay, there's plans in place, but I still think there's some skepticism about, okay, how's this going to get done? Yeah. And, you know, and cost, you bring up, I mean, cost is a huge part of this, right? Um, I'm not even saying we need to hire more cops here in Winnipeg. Maybe we need to redeploy the officers we have because, uh, you know, we increase funding to law enforcement here in the city of Winnipeg every year. And as our mayor said recently, it's at historic levels. And there reaches a point where, yeah, people want something done about violent crime, but at what cost? And that's a, a, a big part of the conversation. Doug, I really appreciate yeah. your time. Thanks a lot for this, and, and we'll, t- we'll chat again soon. Anytime. Take care.